Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What's up, everyone? This is the Go Along Podcast. I'm Tyler Dunn. Thank you so much for making this podcast part of your life, for sharing with a friend, rating, reviewing. It's all incredibly appreciated. And most of all, a huge thank you to our subscribers at golongtd.com. Can't say it enough. Um, It means the world, and I think you are going to absolutely love what we have in store at the newsletter, golongtd.com. I just got back from Florida, actually. I was doing some reporting down there, a couple profiles that you're not going to want to miss as training camp nears. And similar to last season, you may remember I had the three-part series on the Dallas Cowboys, some other profiles on Antonio Gibson, F.A. Obata, Don Mikowski. I'll have a string of kickoff features and profiles, deep dives, uh, to share ahead of this 2022 season for our subscribers. So, uh, yeah, we would absolutely love it if you gave us a try. Monthly options, annual options. You can always just hop on the free email list too. Uh, give us a whirl. If you enjoy it, you can upgrade, become a paying subscriber, and join the community. And when you join that community, you get to join some happy hours. We're going to have people on from around the NFL, scouts, GMs, former players, hopefully some current players as well. Gives everybody a chance to just ask these folks anything you want. Uh, We've had Richie Incognito on, Alan Robinson, Vince Williams, Andy Janovich, Leroy Butler, Steve Tasker, Ryan Leaf. We've just, you know, Olin Krutz, Frank Winters. You tell me who you want to get, and we'll try to make it happen. So let me know. Subscribe. What former player do you want to hang out with, share a beer with in the Zoom world, and I'll do everything I can to find that player. So, this week, we had Doug Whaley on, former Buffalo Bills general manager, current VP of player personnel with the XFL, and he just interviewed for the Pittsburgh Steelers GM job. So just a ton of stories to share from across the board with our subscribers. And I wanted to throw it here on the podcast so everybody could kind of get a feel for it. And if you enjoy it, would love it if you wanted to subscribe and let me know who you want on one of these happy hours. All right, here's Doug. Thanks, everyone. Welcome, everyone. Uh, so jacked for this happy hour edition. We haven't done one of these in a long time, but 
this is a, a recurring guest. We got to call you Doug because you've been yeah. you've been on this for a few times. You, you've been on our podcast with Monas uh, a bunch of times, and Monas regrets to inform us all he can't make it unless Walter cooperates. His son, no. his son he's, <laughs> he's a little busy right now. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I said, hey, bring him on, give him a beer, you know, hey, it's fine. He's he's what, right. two, two and a half. He'll so. calm down after a beer, right? <laughs> exactly. But um, for those who don't know, listening, watching, Doug Whaley, uh, gosh, you, what year did you start off in the NFL, Doug? I should know this at the top of my head. 94. Yeah. 1994. Yeah. Which 94. that Steelers team should have won it all. If it wasn't for Neil O'Donnell, two picks to – Man, that was chance. the San Diego Chargers, right? Natron Means and Stan Humphreys. Yeah, so we beat them and then went and played the Cowboys. And they, uh, yeah, it was one of those. For me, though, it was my, think about this. The first year in the NFL, I go to the Super Bowl as an intern. So I'm thinking, this NFL is easy. Come on now. Yeah. I mean, just, you just you think <laughs> that's how it's going to go. And it's not that easy. I'm thinking so yeah the 95 team went to the Super Bowl I'm even thinking the year before that Steelers defense was really really yes and that's that's when they lost lost San Diego yes yes, on the last throw yep yep man beat them they lost at at, in Pittsburgh in the AFC championship game that was a hard wrencher right there there were some really rough losses it's a shame that defense that Blitzburg defense Mm -hmm. didn't didn't win at all. I mean, I mean, the carry in that team, but I mean, those, I mean, let's face it, Neil O'Donnell, right? Like he's yeah. wasn't doing a hell of a lot. Comes down to that QB, man. As, but you're as, with the as, Steelers. As, for how many years were you a scout with the Steelers? I was a uh, scout with the Steelers for a year, Seattle Seahawks three years, and then came back was a pro director for 11 in Pittsburgh and then last seven with Buffalo. So second go around with the XFL. Which – if you can, we can't wait to get into the the XFL stuff a little bit too. I know people are already kind of getting jacked about that, and obviously you were a busy guy this off season too, interviewing for that Steelers job. But yeah, yeah, how are you juggling everything? Time management. No, it's it's one of those things when you, as everybody knows, when you you're doing what you love, it's there's no juggling there. And as I say, I was blessed to be in considered for the Steelers, and then even make it the second round all the way to. Uh, the final six and I have a job I love. It just would have been a job I couldn't pass up. So, but uh, excited to, to do what a lot of people have tried to do before. And I think the first XFL, we had a good footing and obviously got shut down with COVID, but uh, with what we got going on here, we're, we're excited to, to bring it to market in January 23. Our first game will, will be camp in January 23 and, kickoff uh, right after the Super Bowl on February 23. And as we say, what's better than football? More football. So we're just trying to give people more football. That's it. What has you most excited about the XFL? Like for people who are, who might be skeptical and thinking, uh, you know, this, this has failed before, you know, obviously COVID was, was huge. Yeah. Um, the last well, time I think around, that, but- that's the thing. When we, what we did last time proved that there's an appetite for it. And we were starting to get traction because we were actually beating all our KPIs. We thought if we could get uh, average around 10,000 a game, we were at 12.5. If we could average around 750 viewers, we were at 900 viewers. And it was just at almost the half point of the season where 
teams were really starting to hit their stride. They were really coming into their own and we were starting to play some really good football. So we thought the second half of the season was going to be really intriguing and start garnishing a lot more eyeballs and a lot more interest and culminating in our, our championship game. So we know that it's there. We just uh, obviously got set by the um, thing, by COVID. So uh, we know the market's there. We just, and now we have a blueprint of, things obviously to do and things to make sure you don't do and make sure you don't misstep. So nice little blueprint to follow. I mean, you guys really <laughs> were aggressive getting the coaches like the, you got some yeah. big name coaches that, that seemed to be an emphasis too. Absolutely. Go ahead, Dustin. what do you want? So, so I'm going to kind of take it all back to, to the podcast real quick. And I talked about the why. And that leads me to this question for you, Doug. You know, you're, you're, you're back at it again with, with the XFL. Why did you decide to do that? Why did you decide to give it another role, even though COVID derailed you the last time? Because it was, it was, it was an unbelievable experience to create. I've never been in a startup. Obviously, being in the NFL, it's a well-oiled machine. But to be a startup, and to start something from the ground up and be able to throw in some different wrinkles. And, and everybody knows the NFL is the best game in the world. But there are some things that can be improved. And we had the landscape to be able to improve those things and try to bring a product that no one had done before. So it was trying to be the first at something. It kind you know, of, you know, it's, you a, it's a, it's a, oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, hey, Doug. Nice to meet you, sir. Uh, question. I asked the last happy hour we did, I asked uh, Jim Manos, like, why does he think that he hasn't gotten a job back in the NFL? And he said his answer was he felt like like it got rumored that, that the Bills at the time were, like, too relaxed and too loosey-goosey. And, and that's why he feels like he hasn't gotten – a job since since you guys were let go back in 2017. Why do you think you haven't gotten you weren't you were not able to get an NFL job since 2017? Since you you have been interviewing for stuff. Why do you think that hasn't been the case? Like why haven't you gotten hired for anything else? Have you just been looking for like I only want a GM job, or would you take an assistant GM, or would you take like a I, job of you know? Yeah, go ahead. For me, it was more the right place with the right people. Um, and obviously the Steelers was one of, one of those, those spots. And I think for me, it's, it's really the same thing that happened to me. You catch a wave. When I was in there, I caught the wave and I was that young guy coming up that had success with the Steelers and I caught my wave. Now it's catching the wave of younger guys. And there's, unlike coaching where a head coach usually has a job before he walks out, there's not too many of GMs that get brought back in, like Tom Dimitrov is still out. I mean, there's a litany of guys that are still out for the GM jobs. And it's just, you get these younger guys and some young guys are, I wouldn't say reluctant, but maybe some are reluctant to have that veteran guy on their staff. But uh, it was one of those things where I'm content with what I'm doing. I'm actually love the, the new challenge of, of something new. And I'm not saying that it, I wouldn't have liked to go back in the NFL, but I'm, it's one of those things. I know that I did it, but this is a new challenge and it's a new chapter in my life and I'm excited for it. 
that you can say, Doug, I mean, what was the process really like with, with Pittsburgh then through, through that? I mean, you, you go in for a second interview, um, yeah. you're a finalist. So when you're sitting in that chair, was it relaxing, nerve wracking? You know, how, how are they grilling you? Like, what were they, what are they asking you? What do they need to know? No, it was more, Hey, I wouldn't say they, they weren't grilling. It was a conversation of, all right, let me know what your philosophy is. How do you build teams? How do you interact? How do you build? What do you, how do you think of your staff being built? And then me asking them questions of, all right, what's the foundation here? What's, what are we, what are you ultimately trying to do? And for them, it's, there's only one standard and that's to compete for a championship. So, and it's kind of just really finding out of talking to our senior Dan Rooney Jr., Coach Tomlin, and, and, and trying to get a feel for do we mesh and there are, are a lot of values aligned. So it's for me, it was going in there. And like I said, having a job that I love, it was me really going in there and saying, if I get this job, this is what I'm bringing to the table. I wasn't really trying to, to win the job uh, and tell them something that I wasn't. I'm just telling you, like, this is where I messed up before. Here's where I think I did good. And here's where I could take this if I get this job and go forward. And this is what you can expect from me. So it was really a nice relax. And it was, uh, it's one of those things where after you go through it, you're like, that was kind of stressful. But when you're in there, you're just so uh, journal and pumped and geeked. You, you don't yeah. even think anything about it. Oh, that, that's such a good, good way to put it. It's like, cause you, you do have a great job. You are excited about where you're at. You have everything ahead of you with the XFL. So if you can, like anybody out there, like this interviewing for a job, that's just just a great mental place to be. I would think yeah. where you're not yeah. like desperately trying to like right. state your case and make excuses and scramble. It's like, no, this yeah. is this is how it is. Here's what went wrong, went right. Um, and I feel like your drafts have kind of aged pretty well. You know, like you, you probably have some <laughs> good things you. to talk about in there, right? Right, right, right. And then obviously we talked about how the Mahomes thing and setting them up for to get Josh Allen and the thought process behind that. So that, that was a, a positive. And it was one of those things is one of the few times in life where I was in a no lose situation, which I don't think uh, you get too many times in life. Yeah. How did that Mahomes conversation go down? We've talked about it ad nauseum on here, but oh. I'm, I'm sure we yeah. missed something over the podcast. No, I just told him, I was like, listen, because they were, the first draft, the first interview was before the draft. And I was just saying, Hey, listen, obviously you're, lo- you're losing a hall of fame quarterback. Here is how we came up with the rash, the, the, I guess, recipe to find a quarterback and it's the proofs in the pudding. Now, again, I always say they made the right choice. They made Josh Allen, their quarterback. I can't, I cannot claim that. But I can say that the foresight and them being able to be in position to do that was from something that Modus and I hatched of an idea and put in place with some different uh, options to, to figure that out. Well, and I know Connor and Joe have questions here, so I promise I'll shut the hell up, guys. But just on that point, I was really surprised that, I mean, Pittsburgh is the team that bit in this quarterback draft. And this was a draft mm-hmm. that was kind of panned in, in the same way 2013 was, which, you know, we got to repeat it again. You weren't the GM, right? Buddy uh, Nix was, <laughs> you get, you get kind of tagged as, as the guy that drafted, drafted EJ Manuel. But, um, 
but it was kind of it wasn't known as a stronger class then class. this isn't known as a stronger class but they liked Kenny Pickett they made him the first round pick they, yeah. they could have they could have kicked the tire down the road they got Mitchell Trubisky you got Mason Rudolph they, they could have you know done a two-year plan kind of like you and you know Monas did there at Tempo with the Pagulas way back when you're looking ahead yeah what what are your thoughts on their decision to, to draft Kenny Pickett? What did, you, what did you see in him, and what what would you have done if you were the GM? Well, for from what I saw him and look at him, when I scouted him, I thought, well, the one thing that I really liked about him is that he came back and bet on himself. Now he he was thinking about coming out last year, and he probably would have been a, a fifth round, possibly a fourth round. He came back and obviously bet on himself put the pressure on himself and came to be a first round pick. He is the most pro ready of all the guys that came out last year. He has the least amount of holes. The The question everybody has and I have is what's his ultimate ceiling? Is his ultimate ceiling a Andy Dalton or is it a Kirk Cousins or is it a Drew Brees? I don't know. And for me to really find that out, I would have had to been in those quarterback meetings in the in the, in the uh, spring to, to really talk to him and, and hear his thought process of when he watched film with him. What did he, die, what did he see? Why did he dissect it? What did he see? Why did he go there? And all of that stuff to see mentally where he could go. But I do like that he bet on himself. It is an interesting order of operations, too, what the Steelers did. I, I don't know what's right or wrong, but, I mean, they decided on a GM after the draft, right? I mean, it, after, it was, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So they made that, I mean, that decision was made, and then the GM comes in and kind of inherits the situation or maybe yep. has to say, I, I don't know. It's, it's Is that normal? Like, I, it, I think a lot of people would look at that and be like, that's well, kind of strange. Actually, back in the day, most of the GM hires were after the draft. And obviously that's what happened with me. It's just recently people have been doing the GM drop hires uh, after the season. So that's more of a, the last five, six years that after the season that that's been happening. But like I said, it, way back in the day, when I first got in it, it was right after the draft. Then that's when the personnel moves were very heavy. And I guess you and Jim and everybody got let go in Buffalo after the, that draft to different circumstances, yeah. but. All right, Connor, I think, uh, had his hand fired up a little bit ago. So what's up, man? It was good, guys. Doug, good to meet you, man. Nice to meet you, Connor. Um, so the one question that I thought of a couple minutes ago uh, when we were talking about the, the Steelers interview that you were having and you were talking about some of the good, good and bad things that happened um, in your career so far, originally with the Steelers and that, in, then with the Bills, what have you carried um, – or, or learn from your time in the Steelers and in the Bills organizations that you've brought with you to the XFL? And what have you learned from all of those experiences? The thing that I learned the most is if you get, because it's such an intense business, you have to, one, get smart people and people you like to be around, everything else you can figure out. Because you spend so much time with these people and if you get people that I wouldn't say aren't smart, but are just singularly focused and don't look at the macro and, and, and just focus on the micro, then it's always going to be a struggle to say, especially when when you're building a league, 
Now, when you're building a team, you can be more micro-focused, but in the league, you're macro-focused. And I think that's one of the things that has helped me coming from the micro to the macro and open my eyes and say, okay, this is, this is a different way to think about it. But it, the best thing is people, you got you to gotta like the people you're around and they got to be smart. Well said. Joe, fire away. Sorry. Hey, uh, Doug, when you were the GM here, there were like rumors that you didn't see eye to eye with Doug Marone and Rex Ryan. D- do you want to st- state anything in terms of like, did you get along with them well yeah. uh, in terms of like the GM coach combo or was it, or right. were there bad things that happened that you looking no. back, you were like, go ahead. No, I, I would say this. It's like any any relationships. You're going to have your ebbs and flows, but there was nothing personally that I had against them. We worked together, and that's the one thing that is easy to say, and you see it anywhere where there's friction. But you're going to have if, – if you've agreed on everything, then one of them you doesn't need to be there. You need to be able to say, well, let's think about it this way. Let's think about it this way. But what we always did is if we disagreed on something – Let's find something, a common ground we agreed on. And that's what I would work to do. And the perfect example is the Shaq Lawson draft. We had disagreed on Darren Lee, the personnel staff. We liked Darren Lee. Coaching staff didn't. So we said, okay, if you don't like Darren Lee, who do you like? And it was Shaq Lawson. So we like, oh, so do we. So that's what it is. That's my philosophy. And that was the philosophy I was brought up on is you never want to force a player on a coach because the player has no chance. And a co- and so if you disagree with a coach on a player, then find a common ground or a, pl- a player you do agree on, and then everybody happy. Everybody's happy. Was there ever was there ever though a player that maybe you wanted, and at the like you just said the Darren Lee, Shaq Lawson that you wanted, and maybe you got convinced. I remember I remember seeing this like they did a Matt Melton like Beyond the Life football mm-hmm. of Matt Miller, and they were gonna they were supposed to draft the Market Square. And then on like draft day, a bunch of people like convinced them, no, 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 don't get, don't get the Marcus where get, I forgot oh, okay. which third wide receiver was. Might've been the bad Mike Williams from USC. Was there ever a moment you can remember where I was like, I wanted this player, but I like the coaches convinced me otherwise or something happened. And that guy would have like been like, would have blown up. And it's anything like I, that. I will say this. And it's one of those things where a, a, a lot of people will say, Oh yeah, everybody says that now, but the first time I saw Russell Wilson, I, I really liked Russell Wilson. But at the time, it was Buddy Nix and Chan Gailey, and they had legitimate concerns about the height. A guy that height hadn't really pr- produced in the, in the NFL level at such a high level, at the NFL such a high level. So there was concerns. And I fought the fight, but the, the, the interesting part was we were going to – he went in the third round. We were going to take him – with our early fourth round pick. Yeah. Eric so. Wood was on the pod talking about that. I mean, yeah. the Jersey is going to be made like you. Yeah. I mean, you oh, guys yeah. were almost certain that you were going to get Russell Wilson in the fourth, right? I was, think he, is it Tyler, you, you, you froze on us. Oh, I, it was, uh, oh yeah. My internet's a little unstable. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. You're good now. Gosh. Yeah. And, uh, in the courtyard down here in in Fort Lauderdale, doing doing some stuff. It the, the internet's been solid. It's got to it's got to hang tough for us here. Um, but yeah, like we're, Eric Wood was just 
detailing. Like he, he heard it was almost certain that you guys were going to take Russell. Wilson. Oh yeah, but, I mean you were sure yeah. about it. Yeah, jerseys made debate, all that. Yeah, the debate was to take him in the third or not, and I wanted. I actually had a first round on him, but I was like, yeah, let's do it on third. And then it was just Chan just couldn't get over the hype and and Buddy, and so uh, I, that. So Man. to answer your question, that was it, Joe. <laughs> the one where How I tried you, to stand like, up and. <sighs> But how do you, that's got to be, I can't imagine that. Like your profession is so tied to that position and it's just like, oh my God, all these counterfactuals, the butterfly effect, whatever you want to call it. I mean, if you guys get Russell Wilson, everything changes. Your career changes. Everything changes. Everybody everything. around that position, everything. I mean, look yeah. at Seattle with Pete Carroll and John Schneider. It's just, yeah, they're still absolutely. there. And people don't re- remember they paid Flynn about 10 million signing bonus before they drafted Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson came and beat them out and they're still there collecting checks. (laughs) I was covering that uh, week 17 game at the journal Sentinel with Flynn. He like lit up the lines. Like they, they rested Rogers because they, you know, they were 15 and one and Flynn, I mean, he earned himself a lot of money with, with that one game, that one win. And, but you know, Dustin's, I know Dustin's got a question here too, but on Joe's point, what's the inverse of that? Like, so, in terms of, okay, like you're finding players for Rex's scheme. You know, he's that draft, that Shaq Lawson draft, it really felt like, okay, Rex is getting his guys right. to run his defense. But I'm thinking from a personnel standpoint, I mean, for 2014 with Schwartz, I mean, that defense was one of the best in the NFL. It's like you found the personnel like that clearly could perform, you know, shutting down Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning when Peyton Manning was still good. And then, you know, the coaches come in, change the scheme, and guy, guys didn't like it. I mean, I've, I talked to them in that locker room. They hated it, you know. I mean, Preston Brown's head is, you know, spinning like a top, and Mario Williams is just publicly bitching about it. And it's, it's I mean, as a, from the personnel standpoint, it's like, no, we're, we're getting you got good players. You're just not using them right. That's another thing that would probably drive me nuts. <laughs> well, and, and, well, but from you got to look at it from our standpoint, and – I thought about it when I did this, the Steelers interview was my time there was a lot of chaos. Think about that. I went through in four years as a GM, I had two owners, three head coaches, four offensive coordinators and four defensive coordinators. So it's just like, all right. Well, and that's why we just, the biggest thing that if I ever got a shot again would be, I'd love the stability to be able to bring there's a difference between getting a collection of talent and having a talented team. And because we had so much turnover, we just had to get the most talented player that could play in any scheme, be it a three, four, four, three, be it spread, whatever on offense or whatever defense. All right. This guy's talented enough. No, whoever's coaching them, they'll find a way. But when you have, when you have stability and you can create a talented team and you're seeing that's what's happening in Buffalo, you can get pieces and plug them in, and that makes your, your team talent all, all over that much better. And that, that synergy, it's really hard to find. You know, I'm trying to think of the teams that really have it. Um, I mean, I guess Pittsburgh had for a number of years, Baltimore. Yeah. Baltimore, it, yeah. It's tough, you know, it's, it's hard, yeah. I mean, I mean, look at New England right now. Now that Brady's mm-hmm. not there, we, I mean, nobody really knows who's calling plays, who's running the offense. It's, you know, Matt Patricia, I guess, it's – I think it all comes back to the quarterback. I know it's simplistic, but if you've got the quarterback, shit, it makes everything Football's easier. an easy game. The hardest part is just – because if you got a quarterback, it's easy, but the hardest part is finding that quarterback. Dustin, let's hear it, buddy. 
So, two questions. So I'll ask the first one. It's something that I can't quite figure out, Doug. And, and, and I know Brendan Bean said that the conversations were, quote, ongoing. Ryan Fitzpatrick left the idea open to, to retire with Buffalo on a one-day contract. Now, can you tell me from a GM perspective, what goes into that decision, Doug? Oh, this is pure, purely ceremonial. I mean, yeah, there's nothing that impacts your cap. There's nothing that impacts anything uh, football-wise. That's just something that uh, red tape. So it's more ceremonial that he goes to, he officially retires from the NFL as a Buffalo Bill. I thought so. That's why that there's the second part of my question. Then why are the quote conversations ongoing? I can't figure out if the man wants to retire a Buffalo Bill, I can't figure out why he would stop him. Yeah, that that's I, I'm not privy to what's what the conversations would be, but I'm like you. Especially a guy that has had uh, decorated his career as, as Fitzpatrick and played for so many teams for him to say, I want to retire as a bill and him being loved throughout the whole NFL. There's not one player, one person that's ever worked, played with him or been on a team with him or, or, or been around him that has said anything bad about Ryan Fitzpatrick. So yeah, that's uh, I wish I could answer that one, but I don't know. Yeah. I didn't think you did, but I thought maybe you knew something I didn't go <laughs> But Dustin, you bring up a good, I mean, that's a good topic. I mean, everybody in Western New York is in love with, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But, and you guys had to make some tough decisions. I, know, I think that you were around with Buddy Nix. Yeah, I was around when we, there. he was there when we first got here, but we, Buddy decided to sign him. So we signed him. And then uh, a couple years later, that's when we, we moved on from him. Um, great, great quarterback, even better quarterback. Great backup quarterback. Great number two. Uh, even better person. And he is the epitome of what you want in a backup quarterback. Smart, doesn't mean reps to go out there, perform, can galvanize the locker room. Everybody gets along with them, can hang out with the DBs all the way to the O-line, to the specialists. It just has that personality that can bring people together. And in a stretch could keep you 500. The issue with him is though, Sometimes he once he started rolling, he'd believe too much in his abilities, and then that's where the turnovers would happen. I totally got the deal at the time too. I mean, this is why I should I should never be a GM. I guess like you guys were five five and two in twenty eleven, yeah. right? Things mm-hmm. were rolling. The win over the Patriots. Um, oh yeah. I mean, there were some comebacks in there, right? The Raiders. That was a crazy comeback. You go up to Toronto. Yeah. Was it the win in, against Washington? Things are looking good. Yeah. Oh yeah, at that moment. So, you know, I mean, Buffalo hasn't had a good quarterback yep. in ages. So, I, I can kind of see what Buddy Nix was was thinking there. But then, I mean, then it just kind of all fell apart like instantly. Instantly, it was like instant. Let me see. Was it one two? Like an eight game losing streak. Man. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it was tough. That was a tough year because you see so much promise, and then you're like, wait a minute. We just thought we were five and two. What's going on here? So. Yeah. I should say seven. It was seven games, not eight. That's for the record. But <laughs> it makes it tough, though, as a, as a front office oh, yeah. to figure out, like, you know, when do you pull that trigger at that position? It's tough. Yeah, very tough. Uh, Marcus, what's up? Good to see you. 
Oh, I think uh, I think you're still muted. Here, I'll... Marcus, did you hit? Did you hit on mute? I don't know. I think we lost him. All right, Joe, hit us while Marcus uh, figures that out. All right. Doug, what do you think happened with Marcel Darius's career? I don't I can't recall a guy who like was great, got paid, and then just like it was over, like for him. What what in your opinion as the guy who, you know, did ex- give him that contract, what happened with him, you think? It was more the outside influences and his um family situation, the people in his life, and because he's such a genuinely nice guy with a big heart he couldn't say no and he couldn't say to him a lot of people and it just really wore on him outside of football so it took a lot of his um attention away from being a better football player to having to deal with all the outside influences and that's why i always tell people their circumstances why a lot of people achieve and the circumstances why people fail and unfortunately his uh, community around him was more of a weight to him than a foundation to uplift him. What do you mean by they were like a weight to him? Like, what were they doing? Like, was there, I don't know, drugs? I, I don't know. Like, any, it, like just, just a lot of family drama. Basically, everybody had a handout and was like, me more, more, more. And I, I'll tell you this much I played college ball with Reuben Brown. Obviously, everybody knows Reuben there. And I said, what's the toughest part about being an NFL? player and he said having to say no especially to the people you love can you look at your mom when you know you have the money and she says i want money and you have to say no and if some people can't say no then it's just a constant drain and they put pressure on you and they give you the guilt trip and then that weighs on you so there's a lot of things that i would i mean that just really affect somebody's performance and it's not always positive and sometimes it is positive but sometimes it's not and it could go either way. So it's just circumstances. Isn't that the truth? I mean, you hear that so often. I mean, these guys, you know, they a lot of them, let's face it, they're, they're coming from some pretty broken situations, some yeah. rough, really rough upbringings. And, you know, people back home, they, they see NFL and they need, they, a lot of them need the help, right? They need, they, yeah. they, they need some money. They need, they need that handout. And it's, I think but that it's, it, it's, it's so when true. you cut it yeah. off. Your cousin's yeah. going to be like, oh, give me a thousand bucks. You can you can handle a thousand bucks, but then everybody wants a thousand. Next thing you know, that's a hundred thousand, and then so and then you, so it, it, it's tough. And I look at it this way: even business people, when they see not just football players, any professional athletes, they're like, dollar sign. All right, let me try to get him to invest, or, or let me try to sell him something. So now you're talking about family. Like, well, listen, I burbed you. I get had. 12 hours of labor, buy me a new house. And then, then it's after the house. Well, I got this, I got this. It's just a never ending story. Man. All right. I think uh, Marcus is back. Marcus, can you hear us? Yeah. My apologies on that, Sally. No problem, man. No problem. It's, I mean, we're, we're all trying to bust out of this zoom world. So uh, we're, we'll all be a little rough. You would think a guy that works in IT would know how to work a Zoom, but (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say that then. (laughs) Right. Um, Doug, thanks for taking the time. Hey, I just want to ask you, um, 
from the VP, you know, player personnel standpoint with the XFL, obviously the first two versions had a lot of great things to offer. Um, in terms of you guys doing like a draft in November with college football season being in full swing, the USFL, CFL doing their thing. How do you guys kind of get prepared for that? And also, do you look at players that are doing kind of the fan-controlled football thing? Is that of an interest at all, possibly as well? Yeah, to, to answer your question, yes. we got uh, some guys from fan control that might be at our, a couple of our showcases since their, their uh, season just ended. So we're going to have six showcases, which are combines from now until the end of the summer, looking at those guys. And then we'll also look at guys in NFL training camps. And we look like to say the guys from – uh, 65 to about 85, the guys that won't make the practice squad or fringe practice squad players, but need some development, need some more time to mature, to grow, or just more time on the field to, to prove that they can play. And those are the guys that we'll focus on. And that's why we'll do it in November uh, because that'll give us a chance to go to training camps, look at those guys, and then all our personnel guys will have uh, a month or two to evaluate them and set their draft board with their head coaches draft in November. And then we'll uh, then go from there. Cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How do you gauge the, um, I mean, there's, there's got, there's gotta be a handful of players out there with the big name that, you know, maybe they're, they, maybe it's T.O., right? Maybe it's a guy mm-hmm. that's in the hall of fame already. That is 48, 49, 50 years old. And, wants to play in the XFL and you guys have to figure out, okay, like this name, this player, somebody like that is going to bring in an audience and eyeballs, but is that what we want the the product to be? Like, how how do you kind of work through that when you're finding players and finding talent and trying to get on the radar of of people's TVs? And that's the fine line. What you ultimately, you just always want to go back to, you don't want to be a gimmick. You don't want to be gimmicky. So if if Joe Namath wanted to come back, that would be gimmicky. But if Colin Kaepernick's saying, well, I can't get in the NFL, but I'd like to play in the XFL, then you try to consider it because that's not gimmicky. So you just want to make sure that every decision, especially on players, is really rooted in talent. And can this guy really help us as a league on the grass and making our product good that way? Hey, Colin Kaepernick, does he uh does he have a roster spot in the XFL? Would you would you take him on? Well, we'll see if we, if he doesn't have the NFL, then it's something we obviously, as they say, cost us nothing to listen. I don't know where he, he is and if he'd want to do that or if he's NFL or, or bust. So, but it's something that if if he was interested, we definitely have to consider it. It's been a while, man. He hasn't played yeah, in God, been a while. Six years, I want to say, mm-hmm. Five, yeah. We got a lot of hands up. I I don't know who was first, but Greg, Greg is in the house. Let's go there. Hi guys. Um, Really appreciate you doing this. As, as others have said, I'm a little late to the party. So um, I apologize if, if any of my XFL question uh, has been asked already, but one of the most important things for the success of a league like the XFL is quarterback play. You know, we see that dictate the success in the NFL with teams. And in 2020, we had quarterbacks that were assigned to teams by the league. That sort of made it feel like there was an opportunity for each team to have a top 
level quarterback. And then, of course, you had some quarterbacks taken in the draft as well. So I was wondering, and maybe this is kind of too far down the line, maybe this hasn't been uh, a subject that's been broached yet, but how does this version of the XFL plan to ensure that quarterbacks are distributed as equally as possible without, you know, playing too much of a hand in um, saying, okay, this team has this quarterback and, and still allowing the teams themselves to get to kind of choose uh, what quarterbacks they want. So is it, do you see it being like 2020 where we have quarterbacks that are assigned or is there a new idea on how to do that? Uh, that's a great question. And, and you're right. What you want to do is make sure it's uh, fair and equitable, but you also want to make sure especially at that quarterback position, teams kind of get who they want. So it's something that we're internally discussing. We have all our director of player personnel in now, and it's something that we're going to discuss from now until probably after the NFL cuts. So we see what the player pool and, and the options we have at quarterback and then really sit down and say, what's going to be best for the league. And, and that's the one thing, when you're starting a league, a lot of people understand that you want to go, you'll go into team mode at the draft, but before the draft, it's really let's get as a league, do the evaluations for the league player pool, and then we'll go from there. So it's, a, it's, it's to be determined, but it's something that uh, we really have to get right. And I think we did a good job last time, but you can always do better. So that's what we're, we're trying to see, what's going to be the ultimately best thing for the league and the teams. And I, I yeah, it, it, you know, I, I keep coming back to the fact of people love football, right? It's, it's a drug, and everybody needs their fix year-round. And then also you look at some other sports, and you don't always need, like, the big headliner. I don't know. Maybe this is a bad comparison, but, like, horse racing – or NASCAR or golf events or, I don't know, p- p- MMA. Like, there's there's moments these other leagues and other sports take off, and it's the action. You know, it's the drama. It's the storylines. Like, there's, everybody has a story, right? And, and there's going to be something compelling with the product you guys have out there. That I mean, that's where that marketing comes in, too. Just get, right. getting it in front of people. Like, this story matters. Like, follow this. And that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to really uh, engage with the fans and tell the story of these players and get them excited about the players. And it's really equated to like the Olympics. When you watch the Olympics, Olympics, you have that content behind these players and you really start getting involved. And for me, it's it's the same as F1. I've been doing looking at Drive to Survive. And now I'm in the F1 because I know the story and I have an attachment with these, these, these drivers and the teams and I see the dynamics. So that's what we have to do uh, is really build that uh, reason behind why you're going to root for. And you'll have some people that went our alma mater that, oh, I remember this guy playing. I, he's my, I'm going to follow that team. But majority of them aren't going to be that way, but we're going to have to build that storyline. Man, much better examples than I gave. <laughs> the the yeah. Olympics and F1. F1's yeah. blowing up right now. Blowing I, up. I'm and people probably couldn't tell you the drivers are much about, but it's people are watching that show, right, on Netflix, and yes. they're into it. It is, uh, and they did a great job. And it's, it's, it's a, it to me is a recipe of how to increase your viewership and the interest in your sport. 
Well, let let Russ know that we'll just get we'll get a series going on go long. We'll figure something out. There you go. Right? You mm-hmm. know, exclusive to the subscribers here. Now, all right, Joe and Connor have their hands up. Whoever shouts first, go. You know, you I got a show idea for you in the XFL. You guys should do an a a American Idol version, but for like wannabe coaches who want to be like strength like the entry level job and you know oh, okay. people who come on and they audition and they're they're doing like you know you get you get the sob story of like their background and maybe you have them like design a play or give a coach's speech and like you you have judges yeah. you could be a judge and like whoever the rock you could be a judge like whoever and like kind of do something like that well you joe want. you're selling yourself short you're everybody should know what you do here come on let, oh, let them know I'm a, t- I'm a terrible oh. casting director for reality shows. So, <laughs> Oh, well, there you go. So hey, when I bring this up, I might have to say. Hey, Credit me, yeah. We got a ca- yeah, we got a casting director. We, you might have to get I'll, a hey, come I'll, and work with us. I'll cast that right for, for The Rock and all of you guys. Um, my question I had for you is, is this. So a few different times in the happy hour, and I've heard this in a different podcast, people have said that you are completely different as like, you know, talking and presenting yourself as you were with the bills, like when you were the GM and, and some of them have blamed like PR, like the PR people at the bills got too much Tyler Dunn right there. He just raised his hand, (laughs) but they got too much in your like head of trying to present yourself in like a certain way and like all that sort of stuff. I'm curious, do you feel that's, that's what happened? And if, if that's, if that's not the case, how do you feel like a PR person, like, you know, cause I'm sure they're involved obviously with talking to you how they should be involved like with like coaching you and et cetera. And like, do you feel like they kind of like they overproduced you, which is a term we use in television. They just, they just put too much shit in your plate and you weren't yourself. Yeah. It was one of those things where there was such an adversarial relationship between the press and the bills. When I was there, they just always were like, be careful. Don't say anything. They're just trying to get you. They're trying to wait for that. I got you moment. And so it was, I was always measured in trying to say the right things, giving them enough because you were, I mean, they have a job to do. So you want to give them enough, but not give them too much. And then, and so it's, I think it was more of a product of the overall macro relationship between the press and the bills at the time. And it's, I think it, it looks like it's changed. It's been more like, Hey, let's work together. And it's not you against us and us against you. And so I, I think that was more than anything. And then obviously being out now being in the media, it gets you more comfortable and you understand that, okay, you can be yourself. You just, and everybody's not always out trying to get you. And, and if you really give them a legitimate answer, they're going to be more apt to say, oh, okay, I understand this. Or, or say, instead of saying, he said this, but I believe this. Or he said this and he's not saying this. Because everybody's going to question you when you don't have that relationship there. I will so say GM, were, Oh, sorry. One, one quick follow-up. Sorry, Doug. Yeah, go did ahead, you, Doug, did you read a lot of stories about you and the Bills? Like, Did you read the paper or listen to talk shows when you were the GM ever? Or did people bring stuff to you and say, yeah, this you is what just, this column yeah, when 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 you're getting ready to go into a press conference or on a show, you under they bring you the topics like, hey, they're going to ask you about this, they're going to have you do this and do this, and and nowadays, I mean, if you're in that, if you're in any type of industry, like your industry or sports industry, and you start reading those clippings and reading the twitters and all the social media, you're going to drive yourself crazy because it's all negative because negativity sells. You just have to really believe in what you're doing and understand. 
and and this is the thing that the public doesn't understand is you're not going to be 100% on anything you do. Everything, you're, you're going to make mistakes. People make mistakes in their life. And at your job, you make mistakes. At anybody's job, they make mistakes. It's just not magnified to the point of when you're in the NFL. So you, you got to understand, and you understand that in yourself, but your general base philosophy, as long as you believe in that and go with that, you say, hey, you're going to have some ups and downs, but in the long run, this is what we believe in, and this is what we're going to go with. I mean, these guys have heard me rail on and on about it, but I, I feel like if, you know, if, if, if everybody could have seen you be yourself, the perception of Doug Whaley would have been completely different in a way, you know, and I, it's, I feel like PR in a way, they were trying to almost make you somebody, they were, we, we saw the glimpses, even, even through that coverage. I mean, I was a part of that coverage. I worked at the Buffalo News and, you know, it's thing, things weren't always great. We wrote about it. But you were never like, you were never like an ad asshole about it. It was never adverse. I, you know, there were moments you could see that. That's the real Doug. Like before the press conference started, I remember you even like shooting the ball with Sully. You know, and, like about the NBA. Like you know, then you had a little back and forth, and then it start. It was almost kind of like you you had to be on edge because you were almost told to be on edge. And right, right. if you could have just if you were like this and just yourself. You know, obviously wins and losses, you know, I don't think like the media really, you know, we don't control wins and losses. We're not that important, but you know, people, they might, they might be thinking about you in a different way. <laughs> as crazy yeah. as that is publicly. Man. Yeah, I, I would say this, they got better things to think about now instead of me. <laughs> they got Super Bowl <laughs> aspirations. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. But it's, I mean, it's great to have you on the, on these podcasts and just shoot the ball because you know, I think people love the honesty, right? They, they, they just like hearing the real stories and how it really goes down. And, uh, yeah, it's, that'd be a tough seat to be in. Cause I don't know. I mean, it's, it's easy for me to sit in the media and be like, yeah, just be honest. And everybody just tell the truth. And then every single word you say in a press conference is going to be like hyper analyzed by all of us and all the fans 24, seven, 365 at the same time. <laughs> Well, and also, too, is, and this is really what happened, because it was so adversarial and we didn't reach out and try to build relationships, it was whatever narrative Sully or anybody wanted to do, they could just wait for a, a, a clip and uh, a sentence and take that out of context and fit into the narrative that they're trying to, to, to push out there instead of saying, okay, let's just sit down. Let me get to know you. You get to know me. And and I hate to say you get more of the benefit of the doubt, but they are not trying to push a narrative. And and they're just waiting for you to say something to say, see, I told you I can use this in, in, in the narrative I'm trying to push. It's interesting. You know, this is probably another hour for another podcast. But, yeah, I think the situation, and I'm not on the beat. I'm not there day in and day out. But it definitely is a different relationship. PR and media in terms of, I mean, you know, they just had this golf tournament, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, media players, everybody just kind of chumming up, having a great time where, and they've been winning a lot, right? So it's not like there's going to be edgy, you know, the, pre the coverage is going to be a little different than it was right. back in 2015, 2016. But there isn't, um, I, I think some, you know, to your, I, maybe we disagree on that. I think I think it is good to have a little bit of edginess there at the same time, you know, a, a little, mm -hmm. 
advers- ad- adversarials maybe a little strong, but I mean, the Bills just suffered, you know, one of, one of the most heartbreaking, shocking, surreal losses in NFL history. Um, and it should be covered. We tried to here at our site, and it, it's there, there's <laughs> got to be that. There's got to so, be some so, of that. And all right, there's a lot of hands up, so I'll I'll shut the hell up. <laughs> Connor, what's up? It was good. So, Doug, I have a couple more questions about your time in Buffalo. So, mm-hmm. circling back to the Ryan Fitzpatrick talk from earlier. What went into the decision to cut Ryan Fitzpatrick instead of keeping him for another year and maybe, you know, while EJ would warm the bench since that quarterback class was a little rough, there are more developmental guys. Yeah. Definitely Fitzpatrick had proven that he's not the answer at quarterback. Um, but just maybe explain that decision. A lot of it went into money, what we would uh, had to pay him, and then him being a starter – to have asking him to come back and compete or even be a backup after the limit, limited success he had, that was going to be tough. And it was going to be tough on if you're trying to develop a young guy. So it was more the dynamics of the situation than more than now, if we, if he hadn't gotten paid and he was on a, a, a manageable contract and wasn't named a starter and, and got paid as a starter, different situation. But the dynamics of that, trying to bring on a, a young guy and try to develop him, it would have been really tough. And the, the second question that I had um, was more about the time that Barone uh, decided to leave Buffalo. What was the energy like in the building after that decision was made by Barone and around that time when there were rumors about it? And what was the interview process like for the head coach position afterwards? Obviously, yeah. you guys picked Rex Ryan, but I, I'd heard that Kyle Shanahan and Frank Reich might have been considered for the no. role. So what was that process like? Well, it was one of those. I still remember I was in Pittsburgh and I got a call from Russ Brandon. They're like, hey, pack a bag. I don't know when we'll be back. We're going to find a new coach. And for me, being a military guy, it's I didn't ask questions. I just said, what's the next, next task at hand? So I packed the bag, went and we went on the two-week tour and we went from uh, Hugh Jackson to Adam Gase to Kyle Shanahan. We went to uh, Frank Reich. We had Daryl Bevel. We had uh, obviously Rex, Rick, Greg Roman. We had, uh, so we, we interviewed probably close to double 10, 12 coaches. And then in the first interview and then the second interview, we uh, whittled it down and then Rex was the guy. So it was very an intense two weeks of my life. I didn't see the family from, I didn't, wasn't here for New Year's. So for two weeks, I was just on the road between um, Denver, Seattle, San Diego, and Florida. And then we finally came back with Rex. So it was, it was a very intense uh, time. Good stuff. Um, yeah, it had been crazy. <laughs> uh, Connor. Oh, that's right. Sorry. That was Connor. You just went and saw your hand. Uh Dustin's just texting me. Oh, no, there you are. You're here, Dustin. What are you talking about? I'm still here. I got to slide in like two seconds. All right. So I'm, I'm going to follow this real quick. I've got to fly for another podcast spot. But, um, Doug, You're a man in demand, Dustin. They need they need Dusty Schefter. Yeah, Dusty Schefter. <laughs> um, Doug, the... The relationship between PR and the media 
in Buffalo. I'm a I'm a journalism student now. That, that leads me to a question for you. Go back to that adversarial relationship. What would you say to a young journalist who's on the beat? How would you tell them to approach you or anybody at the GM so you don't have that same adversarial type relationship? I would go to whoever's in charge and say, hey, I would like 10 to 15 minutes off the record with that person. And you sit down and basically just chop it up and say, there's nothing I'm going to use from this conversation, but I want to understand you, your thought process. You can ask me any questions and I'll let you know about myself, my thought process, and just be no, just chop it up as two people. And then, then you can kind of get an understanding of their thought process, where they're coming from. But also it builds trust because you say it's off the record and you use nothing from that conversation. And that's the biggest thing is building that trust. Thank you, Doug. Yep. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, that, that can go a long ways. And then it's, it, there is that back and forth of knowing, okay, like when, if shit hits the fan, it, it's going to, it's going to be covered. But I think you, you would respect that. You would get it. And it's like you're human beings talking to human beings at that point. If right. you're able to have those conversations, it's not this like playing a part at a press conference. Right. And, and all you really want from both sides is just to be fair. If, if we suck and we did something wrong, write it. If we did something good, write it. But don't always take one angle like, oh, well, they, they beat Aaron Rodgers in it, but they still didn't do this and did this and make it negative. That's all. Just be fair and, and balanced. That's all anybody wants to really ask for. Well, hey, I know we're getting – well, we're at, we're at an hour here now, but Joe uh, – Oh, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Here. One more. All right, one more. Um, Doug, can you tell us what happened with you getting fired? Like, do you think it was like the Pagula's call? Do you think Sean McDermott kind of did like a smoke, slow moving coup behind your back? It, like that whole thing was always weird to me because I don't think anyone saw that coming until like it started getting reported like two days before the draft. Like everyone was in trouble. Like what happened between like, did you, were you the one that hired him? Was it the Pagulas? Like, w- like looking back, were there moments even because you probably were blindsided that you remember like shit. Like in March they did this, and I should have known something yeah. was up, and maybe you were too busy scouting or whatever. Like, what happened that whole thing? Like, through your perspective, yeah. I didn't hire, but hire him. But Pagulas put me in charge of nominating the guys we'd interview. It was obviously the Pagulas uh, call, and I was blindsided. But I think if you look at what happened after I was fired and everything that is in place now, you can kind of understand what happened. If you, if you can read between the lines. <laughs> so, you, so you think he just wanted his own GM and he was like, give me Brandon Bean. And, and that's, where, and where did he come from? So, yeah, you know what I mean? Is there a part of you that was at all? Like, I'm curious, like, do you look, is there a part of you that's kind of like, I don't, I don't want to say rooting against the Bills, but are you just – is there a part of you that's like – like when you see 13 seconds happen, are you like, mm, tough shit? You're like, you know, like is there a part of you that I mean, kind of look, like yeah, – I mean, like, I mean, no, I mean, obviously I still have a, a lot of friends that work for the organization and you want them to do right. But if something bad happens, it's not like, oh, I, I, I didn't go into depression mode then. You know what I mean? So, but uh, 
uh, I, I'm, I'm past it now. I, I think they got an excellent team. They, that quarterback, Josh Allen, is uh, a remarkable, remarkable quarterback. And I'm really impressed with how he improved his accuracy. That, to me, is what intrigues me. And I would like to – if I had a question, I'd if I was a uh, press person or a media person, I would say, what was it out of that draft class that you guys – zeroed in on Josh Allen, which happened to be the best guy out of the bunch, because he did have some deficiencies. He had some question marks. And what was it that you saw that you wanted to bet on him? That's what I'm very interested in. That's interesting to me real quick, that what you're saying is like you led the the search, but the Pagulas were the ones that kind of made the call to hire McDermott. Like they're like, we like, because that's it, because I – that, that, I don't think that really got out then. I probably, in hindsight, would have been like, why are the owners picking the coach? That sounds terrible. Uh, but it's that kind of like what happened. Like, they kind of made the decision for the most part. I mean, it looks it works out, like, in terms of the win-loss record or Josh Allen, whatever you want to say. But, like, that's kind of crazy to me. Was there a part of you, like, why are they picking the coach? Like, I should be picking the coach, not them. Well, it, not really because I was able to set the table of, the, the four guys that we interviewed. So for me, it was, I was the first line of defense saying, okay, out of the guys, I think I could work. These are the guys that I think are best to lead the team to where we need to go. So, yeah. And then it gets, I imagine it's probably, it's great. It's abrupt and it's shocking when you get like, oh, the way Jim's kind of described, it's like you kind of start seeing little signs like, okay, mm-hmm. he's got the control of the 53 and, Maybe somebody's looking at me a little different as this draft is getting closer, and he's kind of has a little bit of say there on who we're drafting that final say, and then it gets to that point. But it's, I mean, there's no easy way to lose your job. Like it's gonna sting. Like you don't, I don't think anybody sees that coming, right? No, no. But as as, as one of the as everybody says, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I mean, you know, Buffalo, they're in a great place. I'm in an awesome place, so. That's when one, one door closes, another one opens. Yeah, I think we're all jacked for the for the XFL too. I mean, it's going to be here before we know it. And there's a there's a lot to look forward to there. So let is it, you know keep keep us updated too. You know, as it closes yeah. in with uh, whatever you can say because um, yeah, well, once maybe uh, later in the fall once we got things set, I'll, I'll come back on and we'll just uh, I'll give the full fledged. Hey, this is what we're doing here. Are our teams here's the quarterbacks and all that stuff. Beautiful. Doug, you're the man. Thanks so much for hanging out. All right, fellas. Enjoy it. Take care. Safe travels, Doug. Tyler. Thanks.